Chapter One of the Goddess of Atvatabar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. A Polar Catastrophe. I had been asleep when a terrific noise awoke me. I rose up on my couch in the cabin and gazed wildly around, dazed with the feeling that something extraordinary had happened. By degrees, becoming conscious of my surroundings, I saw Captain Wallace, Dr. Merryferry, Astronomer Starbottle, and Master-at-Arms Flathootley beside me. "'Commander White,' said the captain, "'did you hear that roar?' "'What roar?' I replied. "'Where are we?' "'Why, you must have been asleep,' said he, "'and yet the roar was enough to raise the dead. "'It seemed as if both earth and heaven were split open.' "'What is that hissing sound I hear?' I inquired. "'That, sir,' said the doctor, "'is the sound of millions of flying sea-fowl "'frightened by the awful noise.' The midnight sun is darkened with the flight of so many birds. Surely, sir, you must have heard that dreadful shriek. It froze the blood in our veins with horror. I began to understand that the Polar King was safe, and that we were all still alive and well. But what could my officers mean by the terrible noise they talked about? I jumped out of bed, saying, Gentlemen, I must investigate this whole business. You say the Polar King is safe? Sure, sir, said Flatoakley, the master-at-arms. The ship lies anchored to the ice foot where we put her this afternoon. She's all right. I went at once on deck. Sure enough, the ship was as safe as if in harbour. Birds flew about in myriads, at times obscuring the sun. And now and then we heard growling reverberations from distant icebergs, answering back the fearful roar that had roused them from their polar sleep. The sea, that is to say the enormous ice pack in which we lay, heaved and fell like an earthquake. It was evident that a catastrophe of no common character had happened. What was the cause that had startled the polar midnight with such unwanted commotion? Sailors are very superstitious. With them, every unknown sound is a cry of disaster. It was necessary to discover what had happened, lest the courage of my men should give way and involve the whole expedition in ruin. The captain, although alarmed, was as brave as a lion. And, as for Flathootley, he would follow me through fire and water like the brave Irishman that he was. The scientific staff were gentlemen of education, and could be relied upon to show an example of bravery that would keep the crew in good spirits. "'Do you remember the creek in the ice foot we passed this morning?' said the captain. "'The place where we shot the polar bear?' "'Quite well,' I said. "'Well, the roar that frightened us came from that locality. You remember all day we heard strange squealing sounds issuing from the ice as though it were being rent or split open by some subterranean force. The entire events of the day came to mind in all their clearness.' I did remember the strange sounds the captain referred to. I thought then that perhaps they'd been caused by Professor Racheron's shell of terrorite, which he had fired at the southern face of the vast range of ice mountains that formed an impenetrable barrier to the pole. The men were in need of a change of diet, and we thought the surest way of getting seafowl was to explode a shell among them. The face of the ice cliffs was home of innumerable birds, peculiar to the Arctic zone. There myriads of gulls, kittiwakes, moors, guillemots, and such-like creatures made the ice alive with feathered forms. The terrorite gun was fired with ordinary powder, although we could approach no nearer the cliffs than five miles on account of the solid ice foot, yet our chief gun was good for that distance. The shell was fired and exploded high up on the face of the crags. The effect was startling. The explosion brought down tons of frosty marble. The debris fell like blocks of iron that rang with a piercing cry on the ice-bound breast of the ocean. Millions of seafowl of every conceivable variety darkened the air. Their rushing wings sounded like the hissing of a tornado. Thousands were killed by the shock. 
a detachment of sailors under first officer renwick brought in heavy loads of dead fowl for a change of diet the food however proved indigestible and made the men ill we resolved as soon as the sun had mounted the heavens from his midnight declension to retrace our course somewhat and discover the cause of the terrible outcry of the night we had been sailing for weeks along the southern ice foot that belonged to the interminable ice hills which formed an effectual barrier to the pole day after day the polar king had forced its way through a gigantic flow of piled-up ice blocks floating cakes of ice and along the ridges of frozen enormity cracked broken and piled together in endless confusion we were in quest of a northward passage out of the terrible ice prison that surrounded us but failed to discover the slightest opening it had become a question of abandoning our enterprise of discovering the north pole and returning home again or abandoning the ship and taking our dogs and sledges brave the nameless terrors of the icy hills of course in such a case the ship would be our base of supplies and of action in whatever expedition might be set on foot for polar discovery about six o'clock in the morning of the twentieth of july we began to work the ship around to partially retrace our voyage all hands were on the lookout for any sign of such a catastrophe as might have caused the midnight commotion after travelling about ten miles we reached the creek where the bear had been killed the day before the man on lookout on topmasts sung out creek bigger than yesterday before we had time to examine the creek with our glasses he sung out mountain split in two sure enough a dark blue gash ran up the hills to their very summit and as soon as the ship came abreast of the creek we saw that the range of frozen precipices had been riven apart and a streak of dark blue water lay between on which the ship might possibly reach the polar sea beyond dare we venture into that inviting gulf the officers crowded around me well gentlemen said i what do you say shall we try the passage we only measure fifty feet on the beam while the fissure is at least one hundred feet wide so we have plenty of room to work the ship said the captain but captain said i if we find the width only fifty feet a few miles from here what then then we must come back said he that is all suppose we cannot come back suppose the walls of ice should begin to close up again i said i don't believe they will said professor goldrock who was our naturalist and was well informed on geology why not i inquired well said he to our certain knowledge this range of ice hills extends five hundred miles to east and west of us the sea here is over one hundred and fifty fathoms deep this barrier is simply a congregation of icebergs frozen into a continuous solid mass it is quite certain that the mass is anchored to the bottom so that it is not free to come asunder and then simply close up again my theory is this right underneath us there is a range of submarine rocks or hills running north and south last night an earthquake lifted this submarine range say fifty feet above its former level the enormous upward pressure split open the range of ice resting thereon and unless the mountains beneath us subside to their former level these rent walls of ice will never come together again the passage will become filled up with fresh ice in a few hours so that in any case there is no danger of the precipices crushing the ship your opinion looks feasible i replied look said he you will see that the top of the crevasse is wider than it is at the level of the water one proof at least that my theory is correct the professor was right there was a perceptible increase in the width of the opening at the top to make ourselves still more sure we took soundings for a mile east and west of the chasm and found the professor's theory of a submarine range of hills correct the water was shallowest right under the gap and was very much deeper only a short distance on either side i said to the officers and sailors 
My men, are you willing to enter this gap with a view of getting beyond the barrier for the sake of science and fortune and the glory of the United States? They gave a shout of assent that robbed the gulf of its terrors. I signalled the engineer full speed ahead, and in a short time we crossed the ice foot and entered the chasm. It could be nothing else but an upheaval of nature that caused the rent, as the distance was uniform between the walls, however irregular the windings made, and such walls. For a distance of twenty miles we sailed between smooth, glistening precipices of paleocrystic ice rising two hundred feet above the water. The opening remained perceptibly wider at the top than below. After a distance of twenty miles the height gradually decreased, until within a distance of another fifty miles the ice sank to the level of the water. The sailors gave a shout of triumph, which was echoed from the ramparts of ice. To our astonishment we found we had reached a mighty field of loose pack ice, while on the distant horizon were glimpses of blue sea. End of chapter 1